Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few minutes, going to be joined by Laura Oakman of the NFL on Fox, a KU grad, and also the founder of Galvanize, a organization that puts on camps for females interested in broadcasting. And uh, so we'll talk about that, get some information on that organization and also her background and her work with the NFL on Fox. And we'll get a little bit of Chiefs talk in as well with uh, Laura when she joins us coming up in uh, just a little while from right now. Joining me as always is Thomas Bridges after we had a week off last week. And Tom, I am upset. It's not because I had to return from Southern California. It is not because I got blocked by William Shatner on Twitter. It is because of the events that have transpired within the last, gosh, five, six days with the Oklahoma City Thunder now, if that, of moving on from Paul George, and it appears that Russell Westbrook is the next one to go. Jermaine Grant is gone now as well. He's in Denver. They're stockpiling all these picks and moving forward in what appears to be a complete rebuild in Oklahoma City. And right now, Tom, I am a glass case of emotion right now. I'm very, very upset with uh, the events that have transpired. And, you know, a, a couple things, a couple things that come to mind right away, Tom. One of those is that Sam Presti now sending Paul George to the Los Angeles Clippers, and we'll talk about the Clippers coming up in just a few minutes, is the second superstar that Sam Presti has directly traded away to a contender and actually made them a contender. He did the same thing with sending James Harden, the Houston Rockets, and now has done that with the Los Angeles Clippers sending Kawhi Leonard there. I wish Sam Presti was as good as as building a powerhouse with his own team rather than everyone else's teams because he's apparently really good at that. The other thing here is that it would appear that the Thunder chose Billy Donovan over trying to make this right and give it a shot. For the last two-plus years on this program, Thomas and I have been very consistent calling for the firing of Billy Donovan. That is yet to happen, and... I know that the rebuild and this was, you know, kind of a, you know, a decision that happened pretty quickly in the Paul George situation that they found a trade offer, they liked it and they started the rebuild. They jumped on it pretty quickly here. This was a fast moving decision. I get that. But how do you look at a situation and say, "You know what? You're paying a lot of luxury tax. You're not getting past the first round of the playoffs and you don't replace the coach." in the process, that that entire time that you're saying, you know what, you're going to continue, you're going to start the rebuild, but you're going to do it with that same coach? To me, I would have said, let's try one more year. Hold out one more year. Take the Maybe even if you make the trade from Paul George. Let's say you do for all intents and purposes. You make that trade. And then you try to see one more year of where you're going and – let go of Billy Donovan and see what there what what's there with this organization. To me, none of the the tracks that Oklahoma City is making makes any sense. This is all knee jerk reactions. How can you say that the organization needs to go a different direction and hit the reset button without resetting on the head coach? That to me blows my mind in all this. Is that Sam Presti chose 
the rebuild and chose the future of the Oklahoma City Thunder with Billy Donovan rather than giving this another shot at all. You chose Billy Donovan over trying to make things work one more year. To me, Tom, I am very frustrated with the decisions made by this organization in the last couple of days. Yeah, somebody, they must be indebted to Billy Donovan in some way at this point. Uh, like, like some He's got some blackmail on somebody. Something. Yeah, I think he's got to because uh, he wouldn't have lasted this long on any other team in the NBA. I mean, I get that Oklahomans get the, you know, the whole rep for being nice and things like that, but no. No, that, and, you know, they did get a big haul of picks, but I think in my case, just being what it is, you know, with me and the whole Kawhi situation, I feel for Oklahoma City uh, because I've I've felt the wrath of Kawhi and what he's done. I mean, I know exactly how hard it is to lose a player you didn't think you were going to lose. Um, to be fair, I had blinders on not to think that Kawhi was going to not leave the Spurs when he did after the whole show of a season that was. But for the Thunder, this is just completely blindsided. And Kawhi is the one who recruited him and just up and left. And, and for Oklahoma City, kind of a quiet offseason. You know, you signed, re-signed Nerlens Noel and, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, we could ride this out again. And, and the parity in the league has gotten a little bit, you know, more even, maybe not crazy, but, you know, maybe we have a shot with the Warriors being out or maybe we can finally get past this losing in the first round. You're deal. a trade away. Exactly. Pretty much trade Steven Adams and get him off the book and grab somebody else and you're sitting real pretty. And now this. And now they're gonna not going to be anywhere near as good for at least five years. It's a disaster. It is. And – Listen, the the other thing about this, Tom, is I was content with riding out the Russell Westbrook train until it reached its finish point. I was going to be happy with letting Russ play his career out in Oklahoma City, much to the effect of what you've seen with Dirk Nowitzki did with the Dallas Mavericks, with what Tim Duncan did with the San Antonio Spurs. Manny Ginobili did the same thing. Uh, Kobe Bryant did with the Los Angeles Lakers. Enjoy the show and build around that and see what you can do. Maybe even if, let's say for all intents and purposes, you say, you know what, this is not working. Time to rebuild this organization. Why would you not want Russell Westbrook there and to guide young players? Obviously, Russ has made it clear that you know he made Oklahoma City home. And he's embraced young guys. He and, and Alex Sabrinas had a pretty special relationship with each other. He's a big part, actually. I know Russ gets a lot of, uh, you know, beef. You know, a lot of people throw a lot of shade at Russ. But I thought that he's a he's been a big part in the development of some of this young talent in Oklahoma City over the years. So I thought that, you know, with this Oklahoma City team, you can have your cake and eat it, too. You can have a star in Russell Westbrook that gives the fans reason to come out and reason to support and go watch this team, but at the same time, get younger and try to you know do something different. Maybe you get under the luxury tax, you know, and and be an eight seed or outside the playoffs for a couple years 
and try to resurface and see what you can put together. I thought the two could coexist, but apparently for Oklahoma City, that can't work. And here's the other thing about rebuilds, of going into this rebuild mode and moving on from Russell Westbrook and Paul George and all this. When the Thunder did this the last time, and they started this as the Seattle Sonics, of bringing in you know Kevin Durant and James Harden, Serge Ibaka, Russell Westbrook, those guys, you know, stockpiled all those picks when they traded away Ray Allen and Rashard Lewis and all those guys. They got very lucky in landing the guys that they did. To Sam Presti's credit, his scouting was tremendous to be in the positions where they were to get, you know, three future MVPs and then a guy that would win an NBA championship in Serge Ibaka. That was a very good job. Don't get me wrong on that, Tom. But to sit here and think that, okay, you're going to do another rebuild again, it's not a guaranteed success. Did they get a lot of picks from the Los Angeles Clippers? Yes, they did. Did they get a first-round pick from Denver? Yes, they did. Whenever they trade Russell Westbrook, they'll probably get some picks there too. But those picks, here's what's going to be different about this rebuild as opposed to the last time this happened. Oklahoma City benefited from having picks of low records and some good spots in the lottery. Now, you know, that could be some of their own, possibly. If they, you know, if they just stink, then they're going to be you know, well-positioned in the lottery. But these trades they made, the, the picks they piled, Tom, the the Heat are, you know, one, at least one or two of those picks. The Heat are probably going to be a playoff team the next several years with Jimmy Butler there. They got well, some picks from Russell Westbrook. Right. Okay. You, you want to go trade Russell Westbrook to the Heat and go make that pick worse? Yeah, that sounds like a brilliant idea. Um, <laughs> you know, the the other ones, the Clippers, you and I, we'll talk about them in a bit, but I feel like they're the favorites in the West next year. That's not going to be a very high pick. Yes, you stockpile all these picks, but there's no guarantee that this is just going to solve all the issues, that everything's going to go away. Look, look at the Suns. Look at the Knicks. Several of these teams, they've been tanking for years. And how that how's that worked out for them? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to trade them and get picks, you might as well, you know, get picks from a team that's going to be, you know, a lottery team. Go trade with the Knicks. Go trade with the Suns. Go trade with the Hawks. Go trade with the Magic. You know, go, go trade with the Trash. Go trade with the Kings or, you know. Go trade somewhere where he's, you know, whoever you trade's not gonna skyrocket the pick. I mean, it just blows my mind why you would even do that. But I mean, if Paul George wanted out and they can get all those picks, I mean, you know, I'd go ahead and do it. However, if they don't trade Paul George to the Clippers, then Kawhi was gonna stay in Toronto. And we're looking at a whole different landscape of the league with just one move. Because then, you know, the Clippers have, you know, their depth. And, and, and the Lakers picked up some really nice additions getting Danny Green. But if, if Kawhi stays in Toronto, if, if Oklahoma City doesn't make this trade, Danny Green stays in Toronto. Uh, you know, you're, you're looking at the Lakers still not having what they wanted. Uh, Oklahoma City could have kept Paul George, or they could have just, you know, they could have shipped him. You know, they had that deal on the table. They could have shipped him, both of them, to Toronto. Oh, yeah. Out of this, out this... of the Western Conference. Instead, they trade him and make a, 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 the best team in the NBA probably next year. 
This was a scapegoat, Tom. This was a scapegoat to get out of a situation uh, of the luxury tax and the money involved for the future. This is what this was. Because Paul George, when he indicated he wanted to trade, he wanted to go to the Clippers with Kawhi. You could have said, no, you're under contract. You got, you know, what is it, two or three more years left under contract in Oklahoma City? Three years? Yeah, no, you're not going anywhere. You're staying right here. And, and none of this would have happened. Then you know, Kawhi goes back to Toronto, and everything is as it is now. Instead, you make this move. You make the Clippers a contender in the process here. None of this had to happen. And in Paul George's case, you might say, well, he demanded a trade at that point forward. Uh, you know, the writing's on the wall. That very well may, may be the case. But there's been numerous times where teams in this league, Tom, have rejected trades from players. You look at Kobe Bryant. At one point, Kobe demanded to be traded to the Bulls. Another time, he demanded to be traded to the Clippers. And five titles later, he's retired with two jerseys in a, in a Staples Center, retired two numbers, and we tend to forget about that. I mean, yes, it's a different NBA than it, it's been maybe in years past, but the Thunder don't listen to the mainstream media and let them believe you that this trade had to happen. It didn't. You didn't have to get rid of Paul George. No, not at all. And, and I read an article, or really more like a, an OP piece, uh, on on them getting rid of Paul George. And, and a lot of people thought, well, why would they go ahead and trade Jeremy Grant? Because to me, Jeremy Grant, if you're going to go ahead and trade Russell Westbrook, to me, Jeremy Grant is one of your top players. For me, I was thinking, you know, I was thinking that was going to be their glue guy. Uh, some guy on Reddit broke it down really well on on how the Thunder are trying to get under the luxury tax and and have you know try to get away from having to pay the repeater tax, so they could in turn trade have more leverage in trading Russell Westbrook. If I could find it, I'd read it. It was really good, uh, but I can't right now. So maybe later, but. Um, it was a scapegoat to to get out of their current situation of, of taking the heat of, oh, you have Paul George, Steven Adams, Russell Westbrook, Jeremy Grant, and, and, a, and a load of other talent on your team, and you still can't get out of the first round. Uh, I mean, you have two top ten players, uh, and you still can't get out of the first round while all these other teams have two top 15 players and are making it to the Western Conference Finals. Uh I mean, we we can't get Blazers out of the first. We with, can't. Yeah, we can't get out of the first round the last couple of years. But we're not going to change our coach before we go ahead and rebuild. That makes perfect sense. Perfect right. sense. They lose to the Blazers. They lose to the Blazers, uh, who had no business beating the Thunder. They did. Congrats to them. I mean, no Nurkic. They had like Myers Leonard, uh, Damian Lillard, and freaking C.J. McCollum. Beat them and then go. And on hey, to beat Billy. The hey, Billy. Hey, uh, Billy Lock. Uh, not Lock. <laughs> Billy Donovan. Uh, they they actually played Cantor Cantor effectively. Isn't that a crazy concept? Right. Yeah. And he was driving, putting putting points up on his old team. I mean, it's just so. Uh, Jones just leads us to this point. Are you going to ride the storm? I mean, I, I'm ride or die with the with the Thunder. I am, but I'll say this: What's different about this situation, Tom, as opposed to the Kevin Durant ordeal, is you know Kevin Durant walked out on his own. You know, Thunder did not get anything back. I have no ill will 
towards Paul George or Russell Westbrook. I will still be fans of both those guys going forward, and you know this audio tape is to prove it, so uh, we can check the tape back in a couple of months, but uh, I, I'm standing by this is, you know, in Paul's case, he wanted to go home. He saw an opportunity to, you know, play with the best player in the world in Kawhi Leonard and go home and do it and contend for a championship. I can't blame him for wanting to do that. You know, that's totally different. That is totally different than the move that Kevin Durant made of, you know, that, you know, that weak move of joining the team that they had just lost to the Golden State Warriors that did not need him. In Russ's case, you know, everything's falling apart around him. And I don't think that they owe it to him, per se, to trade him to wherever he wants to go. They still have to do what's best for the franchise. Um, you know, they're paying him that Supermax contract. That Supermax contract is going to go with him wherever he goes. The Thunder are going to retire his jersey. He'll be a hero forever in Oklahoma City. He is the greatest player to ever wear a Thunder uniform and the most impactful player in the history of the Oklahoma City Thunder franchise. They've done a lot for him. I don't think that they need to trade him to a location that you know he desires by his own choice. They don't owe that to him. The, the money does that by itself. And so, you know, I'll, I'll be a fan of both these guys going forward. Uh, thankful for their time that they did have in Oklahoma City. You enjoy the, the moment and, uh, and, you know, just – you care, you know, cherish it, and hopefully this rebuild doesn't take too long. Uh, you know, just be hopeful and just see what happens, I guess. Yeah, right. And, and just imagine two summers ago, uh, just the, the swinging shift that is the Oklahoma City Thunder, or I mean, you could call it a multitude of different things. You could call it the wave up and down. You could call it the roller coaster, whatever you want to call it. Uh, from from you know, Kevin Durant leaving, or let's say. Even in the beginning, the Thunder having James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, you know, from that point of making the finals uh, and bringing the finals to Oklahoma City all the way down to Harden leaves, okay, no biggie. Now you have Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, still Serge Ibaka. I'm not uh, a crier at all, Tom, but I think I'm just going to be bawling when the 30 for 30 is out on this team. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I sent you the, the one the guy made, but – uh, I mean, you go from that. You, you did. That, that hurt my feelings, yeah, Tom. Yeah, right. You lose KD. And then, then you know, two summers ago, you're like, oh, my gosh, Sam Presti's a genius. You got Carmelo Anthony and Paul George. And then you fast forward to today, and it's just, it's just like, oh, my goodness. Right. This... I mean, nobody saw this coming two years ago. Nobody. Last thing on the Thunder. Who is to blame? Is it Sam Presti? Is it ownership? Is it Kawhi? Um, is it Kevin Durant for you know leading into this? Who who is the number one person or persons to blame for what has gone on in the last you know week or what's transpired here, Tom? If we want to go all the way back, it's LeBron James. Okay, elaborate on that. So I mean. Yeah, we you kind of had a super team early in the 2000s with Shaq and, and Kobe and Ori and yeah, I mean Derek Fisher even if you I mean that feels weird to say but he was good. Um, he had that team, but it didn't really feel like a super team. No one, they didn't just go out and grab people like they do now. And then LeBron James decides to leave Cleveland, and it was 
really, and it, it will stick around. We'll look back in 50 years if I'm not dead by then. Uh, and we'll look at LeBron James sitting in South Beach saying not one, not two, not three. And from that point on, from from that very point on, from the not one, not two, not three, all the way up that time, and then all the way up until Kevin Durant capitalized it on again with the My Next Chapter, uh, that has influenced the league in a way that we've never seen. Uh, you know, it was always the duo. You mean John Stockton, Carl Malone, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Shaq, Kobe, uh, Duncan and one of the men who, or Duncan Robinson at one point, and then Duncan, or Duncan Parker, Duncan Ginobili, whatever have you. Um, Kobe Gasol, maybe even one point, if you want to call it that. It was always a duo. And, and then when LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Bosch teamed up and made it a spectacle, this is when all this shit started happening. And now they said, oh, well, we're going to go team up on this team. And that's – it's just – I mean, I get it. I mean, you want to win as players, but it doesn't used to be like this. Uh, and it doesn't have to be like this. But now we're so far up the donkey's ass that I don't think we're coming back. I think this is going to be the way the league is for a long time. Well, and the the luxury tax system, everybody thought that when they created it, that it was going to be a way to help small market teams, that that money from the tax was going to go to smaller markets, and it's actually done quite the opposite. Basically, the hard cap does not matter anymore. That well, teams are saying... Right? Teams are paying, saying, you know, hey, we'll pay the luxury tax if it means we can compete. We don't care how much money it costs, we'll compete. The NBA would be much better off with an NFL model of a hard cap and say, no, you're not going to spend more than this than you are right now. Absolutely. Under no circumstance can you spend more than what the hard cap is. And so I think there's a flaw in the system, clearly. But as far as blame with the Thunder goes, Tom, I think this goes to ownership. I think it goes to them initially when you go all the way back to the James Harden days of not wanting to pay the money and, you know, for to keep James Harden around. They chose, and Sam Presti's a part of this too. So I'll say the ownership and Sam Presti in this. Choosing Serge Ibaka over James Harden was a huge mistake, obviously. Um, you know, the ownership you know, got themselves into this mess of, you know, not keeping those guys around. Because if, Tom, I, I say this with 110% certainty, if you sign James Harden to an extension and all those guys re-up, which they did anyway, when you know, Russ and KD and all of them, right now, KD, Russ, and James Harden are probably still together in Oklahoma City. And what we think of are the Warriors with, you know, Draymond, Clay, and, and Steph, which was a very you know, fantastic trio, those three. Not counting KD here for a second. Those three. You know, one champion, multiple championships together. Could you imagine? You know, those three are good, but keeping three MVP talents together, I don't know how many titles the Thunder would have won. And that's what really hurts about all this is management and Sam Presti screwed up so much potential of what could have been. If you got two or three players you got enough, and the Thunder had that, and they dropped the ball big time. 
Yeah, I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to send you the thirty for thirty commercial that the guy made on Twitter. No, I've already seen this. No, no. Oh, no, you did. I mean, what a more perfect title than Thunder Up Set. I mean, it's just storybook type. I thought Thunderstruck would have been good too. That you know, that would have been good too. I, I mean, it does suck. Trust me. And I thought I had it bad when Kawhi left uh, the Spurs, and I thought I had it bad when Ray Allen hit the three ball. In game six, I thought I had a bad, and just looking at all of this, with the, the thunder I've had to endure, I just, I, it would be tough to be a fan, let me tell you. Uh, but Oklahoma fans, you know, they are tried and true. They're better and worse. Uh, and it's going to be hard. God, it's going to, I mean, just from an outsider's perspective, as not a Thunder fan, the only thing that I can look forward to with this is, one, uh, Specifically, I mean, the show doesn't really know about Jose, but you do, and he talks the most trash. Uh, so, one, we'll look forward to less trash talking. And, two, Jones, we could go see a Thunder game together now for super cheap. We could probably sit courtside for probably not that much. Yeah, I was thinking that, too. I mean, that's about it. I mean, that's about really about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. And the only thing that worries me is if it ends up being like a rebuilding type thing, like the Suns or the Knicks or something like that. I feel like Oklahoma City, yes, they've had success, but now they don't have these players. One, the crowd's not probably going to come out anymore because they're not going to want to see a team without Westbrook or just a bunch of randoms. I mean, they're not going to come out and see Darius Bagley, Bagley, whatever his name is. No one. It's a working title. Right, I mean, right. So no one's gonna. I've, ticket sales are gonna drop for sure, and they haven't been in Oklahoma City on the big grand scheme of things. They haven't been in Oklahoma City that long. So if Clay Bennett was to up and sell the team, I don't know how. I don't. They don't think this would happen, but I, I'm sure the possibility is a little bit better now that they're blowing the whole thing up. That if Oklahoma City was to leave. I don't think it's going to happen, but that's the darkest timeline. I think that is uh, an ultimate worst-case scenario, a doomsday uh, item that you just brought up there. I don't think you see that in the near future. I think that's a, a ways away out there. Um, I'm saying but this is critical This, is, this I, I is a critical like a time. This is, for Oklahoma City fans, the most important time for them to put up or shut up because it is a, very easy to show up when your team is winning. To support a team that's very good, that has a lot of talent, and when you're in Oklahoma City, you're the only team in town. When OU and OSU basketball fell off, attendance hit a wall, and they have never recovered despite OU making a Final Four sense, despite uh, OSU having some NBA talent like Marcus Smart and, and several other guys. They never recovered, and so it is crucial for Thunder fans to still support this team to prove that uh, they are in NBA City going forward. Uh, a couple more things on NBA free agency before we get to uh, Laura Oakman, who's just had to join us coming up in just a few minutes from right now, Tom. With the Clippers, with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George going there, I feel like Kawhi, and, and I know that you can't stand this man, but I respect this move to the Clippers for, for a couple reasons. One is... You know, he is going home. He's been honest about that the entire time. This hasn't been an ordeal like uh, Kevin Durant or LeBron James where you've been trying to, you know, figure out what he's been, you know, wanting to do or whatever. Um, 
He's going home. He's not the easy thing to do would have been to join the Lakers and be a part of the super team. But instead, he's the anti-LeBron, is what he is. He's playing for the rival that's never won a title, that's never had success, that has been the losers of some sorts uh, over all these years the Clippers have been. He's doing his own thing. He's not on social media. He's not trying to do movies and all these other things. He's focused on basketball. He's the best defensive player I have seen in my lifetime. Um, he is, he's, he's terrific, and he doesn't get distracted. He lives a simple life. This guy is the anti-LeBron, and he's coming into LeBron City, his own building, and saying, you know what? I don't care that you're here. We're going to come in. We're going to, you know, we're going to beat you guys. And he's doing it respectfully. He's not saying those things per se, but his actions are proving it, that he's not afraid of a challenge and, and being able to recruit Paul George and doing what they're doing there, joining that franchise. I respect what's going on with Kawhi Leonard and, and the challenge that, that he has made and, and that he's not afraid for the circumstance that, that is ahead of him there with the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, th- this is a move that uh, I, I do respect and, and – even with Paul George leaving, even with Kawhi being res- partially responsible for, you know, the Thunder starting this rebuild, I would gladly root for the Clippers still any day, any day over the Los Angeles Lakers, Tom. Oh, man, I, I hate both teams now. And, and I get what you're saying with Kawhi. And if it was any other player than Kawhi Leonard that did this, that went and said, like you said, I mean, dead on, took the words out of my mouth, saying, you know, I'm not going to join your team. I want to be have my own gig going, and we're going to come into your city and we're going to beat you. That's exactly what happened. But as I know, I revert to this all the time, and I I don't even care at this point. I'll be this I'll be the Skip Bayless of this show. It doesn't matter. Um, I think people have to finally realize that it wasn't that the Spurs didn't do all this bad things to Kawhi to make him leave. I mean, I think it was kind of like the Thunder letting Paul George go to get out under, you know, to have a scapegoat. This injury happened. Kawhi, oh, he has a scapegoat now to get out of San Antonio so he can go back home. I mean, he was going to go to L.A. regardless is what was going to happen. So for me, the way that he handled the San Antonio time, the whole season of, you know, Spurs Twitter was like, Kawhi's out tonight. The whole, I mean, that was every single game, and that just got so old of when is Kawhi going to come back and all the false hope. And then for him to only play nine games the whole season, uh, back and forth after the Spurs let his team manage his injury, in August, and then for all this to go down, and now he's just shagging the whole league with his decision-making, knowingly, I mean, it was smart on his part, knowingly kept the Lakers hoping that they were going to get him so all the other free agents would sign elsewhere, knowingly recruiting Paul George under the under the nose of everybody in the entire United States and the world, knowingly doing that. Leave, I mean, causing disruption to Oklahoma City. I don't care about the Lakers, but Lakers fans, rightfully so, probably pretty pissed. Then going to the Clippers, leaving the – I mean, I thought it was a little 
I, I thought it was a little funny because a lot of the Raptors would would their fans would say, "Oh, you guys mismanaged Kawhi, and now we've got him, and all this other stuff." Now Kawhi's gone, and everyone's like, "Oh, we really see what a real type of guy he is." And maybe it's not Kawhi, maybe it's his uncle Dennis, but I can never root for Kawhi Leonard ever again. And if it did come down to a conference finals of LeBron versus Kawhi, I hope LeBron beats him. I understand, and I'm not faulting for you that one bit. I have. It been would be there. like you. Can you root for KD again? Oh, never, never, absolutely See, not. That's well, that. I feel the same way now, and I didn't ever feel like that about really anybody. And that's fine. That is perfectly fine for you to feel that way uh, about him. I, I respect the the way that that uh, that Kawhi approached this offseason. He didn't say much. He was orchestrating this. Not wor- not much word at all got out about this situation. This was a signing that happened at two in the morning Eastern time. Everyone thought the you know the the people. Here's the other thing: the Chris Broussards and you know the Chris Carters, all these guys of the world, they don't know anything. They were saying, "Oh, he's going to be a Laker. There's no chance he's going to the Clippers. Oh, he's going back to Toronto." Tom and I said, you know, on this show. We, we were humble about this. We don't know what's going to happen. I, I said, I think he's going back to Toronto. I don't say that with confidence one bit. I can't. He's hard to figure out. And sure I enough. I did say the Clippers. That was the one That was the one thing I did get right. That's right. You did agency. You did get that right, actually. But, I but mean, everything he was, else I blew out of the water. Right. <laughs> uh, but we're not, you know, we're not experts. We're not trying. We're, we're not using sources to report stuff. We're, we're just, you know, pure speculation, pure guessing on some of this stuff. We had no idea what Kawhi was doing. And he orchestrated this ordeal. I think it's fascinating. They're going to be fun to watch. I think they're the favorites in the uh, in the Western Conference and uh, maybe for the NBA title going forward. This new look NBA now, Tom. Boogie Cousins joins Anthony Davis and LeBron with the Lakers. You have a situation where Jimmy Butler's in Miami trying to wait on Russell Westbrook in that situation. Brooklyn's got Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant together. Durant will not play next year. D'Angelo Russell is with the Golden State Warriors now. I'm looking at some of these situations, Tom. Right now, I don't think the Lakers are going to win a title in the LeBron James era there. I do not think that's going to happen right now. I don't think the Nets are going to win a title with Kevin Durant and uh, Kyrie Irving there. I don't think that's a good fit of those two together. I don't think Kevin Durant's going to be the same player that he was after this injury, and Kyrie Irving has a bad history of being a bad teammate. In Kevin Durant's case, if you couldn't get along with Russell Westbrook and Steph Curry, what makes you think this is going to work with Kyrie Irving and the way that he plays? I think that's a mess. Some of these situations, Tom, are good ideas. It's like that that guy that you want to be that you think it's a good idea, you're, you're friends with, you know, that lives in a distance, and then all of a sudden you're working with them, you, you get your buddy hired, and then you realize that was a bad idea. And some of these circumstances, <laughs> I think, are, are setting up to be that way, where, you know, Jimmy Butler, talented guy in Miami, but, I mean, does anyone think that's going to work? There's nobody there. Nobody wants to play with Jimmy. That's another bad teammate. Some of these circumstances, a lot of guys – chose for their personal interest rather than championship interest. Oh, of course. I mean, who wouldn't want to be in in Brooklyn? Who wouldn't want to be in Los Angeles? Who wouldn't want to be on South Beach? I mean, that is the allure of a lot of these decisions, and it is about money, 
Uh, and it's just about the showtime, of course. I mean, there's a lot of players my age now that we grew up on the showtime. You know, we grew up on the Kobe Shack. We grew up on the big, the you know, seeing the big stage. There's players that saw, you know, that were in high school when LeBron made the big decision that are now in the NBA. They grew up on this. This is what they've seen. Look at how Steph Curry has shaped the entire basketball world. I mean, now kids used to be want to be like Shaq and dunk the ball and slam it home and dunk contest, and now it's all about jacking threes from half court. I mean, people idolize these players, and then eventually the people who have idolized those players, some of them, the good ones, will make it to the NBA and shape that. They will. That's how they will shape the league. I mean, we're seeing it because of what happened when Kobe played, when you know early LeBron, and and we'll see it in the future when kids who are in high school now make the NBA, and we'll see the whole super team thing. That's why I don't think this is gonna die for a while. Pairing up with your buddies and wherever, and your your you know your banana boat squad with Chris Paul and and all those talks and we're not going to see the end of this for a while and that's okay uh, to a certain extent. It is entertaining and we have to still remember that this NBA, yes, it's for competitiveness and winning championships, but it's an entertainment first league. So with that said, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see the storylines. That's what makes the money. KD and Kyrie, how is that? You got a flat earther and a, and a guy who's, you know, lets the criticism get to him from Twitter and, and makes burner accounts. That's going to be something to watch. You got Boogie pairing back up with Anthony Davis and LeBron James and what's going to be probably an utter failure. Now the Kawhi's right, literally right across the street in the same building. Uh, I mean, you have Oklahoma city timeline. I mean, there's so many different timelines, so many different storylines in this league uh, that it is entertainment first, and it's it's hard to be a fan when your team trades away the whole team, and it, it's hard when a player scorns your team when you thought he was the next coming of Tim Duncan. I'll, I mean, I'll say this. I'll say this. Last point uh, before we get to Laura is that all in all, Tom, the NBA, and it, it, for the league's sake, not saying this for my personal sake, this is like when you – when, when you're doing a vote and you have the choice, do I vote what's best for me or vote what's best for the country? In, in, in my case, you know, looking at the NBA, the NBA is in, in a much better situation than it was a month ago. Are the Thunder in that case? Absolutely not. But the league right now has a lot of parity. We think the Clippers are the favorites in the West, but not by a huge margin by any means. Denver, Portland. I mean, Denver looks really there's good. some really good teams. The East, who knows what's going to happen there? I mean, the NBA next year. This is the first season in quite some time, Tom, where we have no idea who is going to come out of the East and who is going to come out of the West without a with no idea, no definite thought that this is going to be this way. Like I think the Clippers are going to win the West, but I don't say that with any confidence whatsoever. I think there is a lot of parity, and that's ultimately good for the league right now. Not to mention that I, I don't think I would be wrong to say that the NBA is the most fun, I mean, on a general consensus, is the most fun league to follow by far. 
the storylines, the trades, the free agency, the drama. This, this uh, offseason was much more entertaining than the entire season was last year. Oh, I mean, the whole free agency period. I mean, and, and Twitter, I feel like, really gives that a boost a little bit. I mean, just with the memes and, the, like I said, the storylines are incredible, really. And, and it's boosted a little bit, sure, but that's everywhere. Um, I mean... And the NBA has to be loving it, even if even if the league doesn't have a whole lot of parity. Just the amount of storylines uh, in this league is is like a damn soap opera, uh, and we eat it up, and we love to eat it up. And as much as we don't think we do, or when our team gets scorned by a player, or when a trade doesn't work out the way we want it to, or we lose a favorite player, it's like uh, seeing your favorite character on Stranger Things die. I mean. It is the same thing, and it's hard to remember that these are people too. But at the same time, this is what we're being fed. And I Jones, it's a, on a subconscious level, we love it. Uh, the NBA is literally the most entertaining league uh, out of all the leagues, in, in my mind, including college basketball and college football. I have yet to see Stranger Things, Tom. When I was in Santa oh, Monica, watched it. When I was in Santa Monica uh, a week ago. They were filming the latest season, the, the season to come for uh, Stranger really? Things. Really? Yeah, right there. There was a line of people waiting for like their casting call to uh, get in to be uh, a part of Stranger Things. To be the next person eaten by a Demogorgon, huh? Right. You got to start somewhere, and eating by a Demogorgon might be the way to go. Laura Oakman of uh, Fox Sports set to join us on the other side. Got a lot to talk about with Laura in regards to her work covering the National Football League, some of the other projects she's working on, uh, inspiring young women to get into sports broadcasting and what that's been like. Uh, also, we'll talk a little bit of Chiefs as well. All that more coming up as uh, she joins us on the other side, right here on the Jones Report. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week, you know her from the NFL on Fox, but she's a woman of many talents. It is Laura Oakman who joins us right now. Laura, good afternoon to you. Thanks for stopping by the Jones Report this week. What's happening? Hi, Tyler. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited and hope at some point there will be a rock talk on this conversation. Yeah, certainly so, Laura. Uh, I mean, you, we, we know you from your being on the NFL on Fox, but uh, you, you do so many things, and uh, you're a KU grad as well, so that's always terrific uh, to talk about anytime we get to reconnect with a, uh, a KU grad like yourself. T tell us a little bit about yourself, Laura. Where, where did it all start for you? Where, where did uh, the dream begin? Uh, in Lawrence, Kansas, actually. Uh, I, I grew up in Chicago, went to KU, and when I got to KU, knew I wanted to do journalism, but that's really all I knew. And I wanted to be a storyteller. I, I, I probably had the dream about that far. I, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what I could do with it, but really took advantage of my time at KU and that fantastic journalism school that was then and continues to be now. And went, okay, what does it mean that I want to tell other people's stories? And I fell in love with broadcasting. At the time, there, there wasn't a lot of direction for a woman who loved sports. So that was probably more of a cool thing that I loved to do and take a, take a class about sports broadcasting. But knew I wanted to get into, uh, into broadcasting. I left KU, and my first job was in Montgomery, Alabama, where... I was really fortunate where I got a, a job that I was doing news during the week, but during the weekends I was doing sports. And at that time, 
there were not very many women doing it, and uh, and I very quickly realized as I stood over my first dead body that I didn't love telling those kinds of stories, um, and I really, really enjoyed the release and probably the escape of covering sports. And from there, went from Montgomery to Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I became full-time sports, and, and then from there, Chicago, CNN Sports, NFL on Fox, where I continue to be. That's terrific, and uh, you've been at the NFL on Fox for a long time now, one of the uh, longest people there, not just women there, but just one of the longest people there at the uh, NFL on Fox. How has that experience been to go every week from city to city covering the National Football League and uh, seeing you know this league firsthand uh, for, for all the years that you have now? It's terrific. Uh, I, I love the order of which I did things. Um, you know, we all have different paths. And uh, I'm really grateful for mine. There's a lot of different opportunities nowadays for younger people like yourself. And, um, and for so many Jayhawks that I talked to from the journalism school, there's, there's a lot more opportunities out there. There's a lot more, um, there's, there's a lot, there's just a lot more options. But what I loved about my path was you started having to learn how to be a reporter. And that meant you had to start in small markets and really want to cover a team. And by the time I got to the NFL on Fox, I already had the reporting chops down. I, I had learned what it was like to go in and kind of a hostile territory of having to navigate locker rooms, having to build relationships, having to build trust, and do that behind enemy lines. I'm air quoting because I say enemy lines. And so by the time I got to the NFL on Fox, it was a different world that opened up. You're much more part of the family. You're, you're a partner because we, we literally are. We paid billions of dollars to be a partner of the NFL. So it's a different um, it's a different advantage. It's a different world that you get to see the NFL through. Um, instead of going in locker rooms, which I don't have to do anymore and, and love that, uh, I, I don't have to go to, um, to open practices. We... We land in a different city every week on Friday morning. We go straight to whatever town it is we're in, and we go straight to practice and have meetings with the head coach and coordinators and players just privately with my small group of people, my teammates that I travel with every week. And then uh, and then on Saturday we go to the hotel, wherever the visiting team is, and we spend a couple of hours with them having interviews and conversations with, with, uh, with the head coach the quarterback, the coordinators, and other players. And so that's, it's, it's really different. It's, it's a different perspective, and I love the order of which I did things. Nowadays, so many young people get thrown into the sidelines right away before they've even learned how to be a reporter. They're a sideline reporter. And, um, and don't, don't understand probably the opportunity and the privilege that comes with that vantage point. So I'm, I'm really blessed that I got it in that order and that I've been doing it as long as I have, where the people you cover truly become these relationships um, because you're not covering them from, you know, a, a, a half an hour going to the locker room in a group setting. You really are getting to know them. You're spending time with them and you're building trust. 
So it's it's been wonderful to be able to do it this long and get to know everybody and have them get to know you and get to trust you, which is which is the best part of the job. Laura, in these sideline reports, you, you don't have a whole lot of time during these games to, to get these reports out there. What, what is the message that you're trying to deliver to the audience? What, what is what you consider to be uh, a, a successful day for you when, when you feel like that you have accomplished everything you want to when, when you're on the sidelines of, of getting the information out there you want? What are you looking to achieve, per se? I love that you asked that because it can. It, the hard thing about being a sideline reporter is you can feel you can feel pretty worthless if you count your day or if you view the success of your day by how many hits have I had. Because at the end of the day, it's like you said. Let's say on a, a good day, I get or sideline reporter gets six six hits. You know, which is a pretty full day at a football game. Six, you know, seven hits. But at the end of the day, they can be anywhere from eight seconds to twenty seconds, really. And so when you look at how much work we all do uh, every week to cover a game with the film that you watch and all the conversations you have and the interviews and the travel that you do and all the conversations about this game, if you break down a day that's perceived to be a good day with six, seven hits, it really is about a minute and a half. And so I think most sideline reporters will tell you if they've been doing this long enough, you've got to really figure out what your worth is beyond a minute and a half because you can feel like you don't have much value. And so I'm looking at a much bigger picture than what the viewer sees. I'm looking at how much am I contributing to my team? How much am I telling my producer and my director, this is you don't have to come back to me, but hey, do we just now? Hey, letting you know this is what's happening with an injury right now. I'm keeping my eye on it, but just I want to make sure that all of us see this. Um, how much am I helping and leading them when it doesn't necessarily turn into me being paid off by being on television or on radio? I also do Western One Radio. How much am I, during commercial breaks, asking for my microphone to be turned on so I can talk to the guys in the booth to tell them, hey, just so you guys know this is what's going down down here, make sure you're taking a look at this also. And I think as a young reporter, you get so selfish because all you're doing is trying to prove your worth so you don't want to share anything. You don't want to give anything because you're just trying to show, look how much I know. And then you get older and go, okay, well, that's that's not only selfish, that's a lonely attitude to have. So how can I be a bigger part of this team? And so a successful day for me is absolutely adding things from the field, which is what nobody else sees, and that includes the play-by-play and the analyst guy in the booth, or woman in the booth. I just have never had a, a woman up there. Um, but also the truck, my producer, my director. How much am I contributing to them in, in the, the audience on things nobody else can see or hear? And that's a good day for me to make sure that I'm adding things that nobody else has heard or nobody else has read or nobody else has seen. And how much am I contributing to the team? broadcast, even if my name isn't said, you know, voice of, or my face uh, is Laura Oakman. So I would say how I view my day, my, my Sunday would be, did I build great relationships Friday through Sunday? Did I meet new people? Did I build trust? Um, did I make sure that I reacquainted myself with the players and coaches that I already have relationships with? And did I add things that the viewer at home doesn't know 
while also being a good teammate and contributing to things that don't necessarily um, have anything to do with me broadcasting them. Laura Oakman of the NFL on Fox joining us here on the Jones Report this week. Laura, the uh, the NFL on Fox package started in the early 90s. It was such a big deal when Fox got that package, and you've been there for, for most of it now. What what changed? How, how different was it for you covering the NFL for Fox as opposed to maybe these other networks? Because, I mean, this was such a big deal and really just changed how we do television as a whole based on kind of where it started with Fox. That was the big revolution of sorts for the next 20 years that Fox was the trendsetter uh, for, for sports broadcasting on television. I think I'm, I'm so aware of the privilege of that. And, and as a woman getting older in this business for years, I probably shied away from talking about how long I've been at any place or how long I've been doing, you know, how long I've been doing this because there's such a sensitivity or back then there was a sensitivity to me about saying how old I was. And the older I get now, I'm in a place where I just feel so privileged to have been a part of that, to have been able to watch uh, not just Fox grow, but exactly what you said, how they've changed the business, not just changed the network. And once a year, it is the coolest experience. We have an NFL on Fox seminar, and it's everybody who's affiliated with the NFL on Fox, and we go to this pretty great, you know, resort in California, and and it's everybody from, you know, the producers and the directors to the studio uh, hosts and every one of the traveling teams, uh, you know, that, that, we're, that covers the NFL on Fox. And you walk into that room and, and it never, ever doesn't make me stop and smile and go, how lucky am I that I'm in this room, that I'm sitting here, you know, having lunch with Howie Long and Terry Bradshaw and Jimmy Johnson and legitimately, and Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, and legitimately the people who have been there since the beginning. And so there's such a privilege to having this family that understands what they've all been through to get to this point. And I I think what's so awesome about this family is everybody just appreciates it. It's a really good group of human beings. One of the biggest things I would say that's different is when I first went to that seminar, which was overwhelming and intimidating and scary and, you know, and exciting and thrilling and all of that. But with, besides Pam Oliver, there were, it was her, Pam and myself. There were no other women. And so now to go to the seminar and see so many women is pretty awesome, too. I, I love that part of the growth of the NFL on Fox and just sports, period. But, yeah, I would just, I would just say that um, – it's, you're really lucky, you're really blessed when you're a part of a group that has done something really special and everybody, and nobody forgets how special it is. And, and that's neat to say that after this many years. No question, no question. Uh, Laura, we'll, we'll talk about what you're doing to inspire in some of these, these camps and different things you're doing here in just a moment. But who inspired you to, to do what you do? Who, who are some of the people that, that you've looked to, up to over the years uh, that, that have encouraged you to get to where you are now? it's funny that you bring up the camps and what I try to do for women because I think my biggest thing I would tell you is I didn't have any women. Um, I didn't have any mentors. I didn't have any women peers. Um, and people will, will, will take that a lot of times as saying because women are so catty in this competitive business. And, and I really don't mean that at all. It's just when you, when you are in a field and there's not many of you, 
there's such a competitiveness with yourself, with it, which really is, how do I make sure that I can do this? How do I prove myself? How do I prove I belong? And so you're not looking ahead of you to ask anybody, and you're certainly not looking behind you to see who, you know, who might need help. And you're not even really looking, you know, to the left or the right. What you're doing is just trying so hard to prove that you belong. And so I just, I didn't have any women that I could look to. And so what I would tell you is, you know, the people that I looked to were terrific storytellers and, and great interviewers. And, um, and eventually my best friend and closest friend in the, you know, in the business for over 20 years was Stuart Scott. And Stuart was just starting his ascension and, and breaking his own barriers and, and becoming such a, a huge influence in, in the world of, of uh, minority broadcasters. So to be able to watch Stuart go through that, and he just didn't have the head games that in his head that I had. And it was great for me to have somebody say, stop comparing yourself to other women. Start just comparing yourself to great interviewers or to great broadcasters. You're not good for a woman. You're good. And to always say to me, make sure that you're looking at um, – you're not looking at anybody else. Just stay in your lane. And so to be able to have somebody who wasn't much older than me but just was so much wiser than me and breaking down those barriers and, um, and, and blazing a trail while I was trying to do the same was one of the biggest blessings I had in my life, to have somebody I could look to um, and also just, you know, consider him my, my best friend for a long time, just have him in my life as a – as a broadcaster and as a person, was was amazing for me. Mr. Booyah himself, one of the best to ever do it, no question about that. Uh, Laura Oakman joining us here on the uh, Jones Report this week. Laura, uh, w- w- tell me about this. Uh, some of the stuff you're doing, some of these camps to inspire younger broadcasters, uh, women in the industry. Uh, you, you mentioned it's a competitive business, but, uh, you know, I think that the the best journalists out there, the ones that are the most successful, the ones that try to help other people out, that go out of their way to help other people, encourage others in this business. At the end of the day, we may all work for different networks and and such, but we're we're all on the same team. We all have the same you know similar goals we want to accomplish, and we're all just trying to get somewhere. And, and that's what you're trying to do is you're you're trying to help out these young women uh, just get comfortable, try to find ways to get involved and and. Uh, and find those opportunities. Tell about exactly what what you do with uh, some of these camps and in the programs you do. Well, the company's called Galvanize, capital Gal, and I really wanted to give these. I'd say these young women, but I, I get women who are from nineteen to forties. But so to give women just what I didn't have, which was that 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 support group of women, and and it was. When I was checking off all my boxes and, and starting to really feel that I was um, that I was accomplishing something in this business, it was very exciting. You know, Super Bowls and Olympics and um, and you know and and starting a production company and and I was doing all these amazing things and and all a while people were saying you know oh you're you're blazing a trail or you're shattering a ceiling and and that should have been a really exciting time and it was. But it was also probably the loneliest time of my life because you you give up a lot for this business. There's a lot of sacrifices. You're on the road constantly. I, I left a, I left a lot of friends. I left a lot of family. 
Um, I watched all my friends start having relationships and buying houses and having kids and getting married. And, and I was just kind of going city to city and having my mom pass away while I was in a, in, you know, a small town in Alabama. And so there, there's a lot of that sacrifice. And I just started watching these young women get in, get thrown into these positions that they weren't quite ready for. And I don't just mean that in terms of the on-camera experience, but I mean that more in terms of life, in terms of I was watching them get these great opportunities much earlier than I did, and part of me goes, you know, yes, go get it, and the other part of me would just feel horrible for them, going, oh, like I wish they had another couple of years to work on that or to understand sometimes it's not the best thing to all of a sudden get thrown into an NFL locker room or an NFL team. It's, it's why double A is a wonderful thing, you know, to, I'm glad that I, that my sports career really did start with the double A baseball team. So I could learn the ropes. I could really learn how to build relationships. And, and I'm really thankful I didn't get thrown into um, a professional team really quickly on a big network where so many, especially young women get that. So, I think if that would have started happening when I was, you know, 10 years younger, I would have been very resentful of the women. But it happened when I was old enough to and go, okay, I maybe can't change the system. You know, it's going in this direction, but how can I help these women? And so what I wanted to do was create a place where not only they would have a mentor, which is really important, I would have loved to have had one, but I really wanted to give them a support group. I really wanted them to be able to have a group of women that they could reach out to and go, hey, I'm dealing with this right now. Have you dealt with this? Or how are you handling this? And that's what Galvanize has turned into. I, I think, you know, it's, it's well over 1,000 women now, and, and it's pretty awesome. Every day, you know, I, yesterday I, I did a call where I, there was a group chat of one of my last boot camps, and, there's about 23 women on it, and they were all talking about something tough they were going through. So I said, why don't we all just get on a call tomorrow? And I let them all, you know, 23 of them work it, work it out and watch that happen all day and then said, let's get on a call. And then, then the mentor gets to come in and go, okay, I saw what everybody said. Let me now give some advice to you. But, what, but two parts of that were really important. Having the mentor to be able to go, okay, here's how you can handle it, but what I love even more is watching them go out, to, go reach to each other, trust each other, and go, how are you handling this? And and that's that's a pretty wonderful thing because, again, I didn't get that to probably 40 when I started saying, okay, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than my path. It's bigger than what job I'm doing. How am I helping the women coming behind me? And so I love the fact that these women from Galvanize are, you know, 20 years old or 24 years old, but they're already creating this sisterhood. So that's usually during the NFL offseason. That's what I do is I set up these boot camps. And what's been happening the last few years is I team up with NFL teams and they give me the rookie class. And I take that many reporters. And we do one day with the, just with the women uh, in a conference room. We spend 15 hours in there and we go over everything from how you build trust and relationships and how you become a better listener and how you become a better interviewer and how do you earn someone's trust and, and how do you navigate gray areas? But probably the biggest thing we work on is confidence in ourselves and each other. And then day two, they're paired up with a rookie and they're going through a lot of the same things we are. And the whole thing is our time together. We don't talk about what they do. We talk about who we are. It's the who, not the do. So the players are trying to make a team or they're trying to fit into a team and 
these women are trying to do the same thing, and it turns into one incredible family of all these aspiring reporters and all these uh, aspiring NFL players all team together, and it's it's pretty remarkable. It's it's a pretty special it's a pretty special couple days together. That's outstanding. Uh, I know a couple of people that have been through your camps, and I've heard nothing but positive things uh, about what you're doing and just the success. And glad to see that has yeah, uh, taken off the way it has. Uh, when, when you're not on the football field, besides uh, these camps as well, you, you love to produce, and you, you you have your own production company and have produced several shows of over the years. Laura, tell me about some of the things that that you've worked to get worked on. Some of your projects outside of uh, the sidelines uh, on the football field. Well, I think it goes back to what you were asking about. You know about about how you view a successful day or for me, how, you know, how do I, how do I find my value? And, um, my favorite thing in the world is, is finding out somebody's who, you know, not their due and really getting to know somebody. And, and I don't care if that means on a football field, if that means on an airplane, if that means getting my nails done and sitting next to somebody, I'm probably going to wind up making somebody cry or somebody feel, and you know, and, and all I want to do is go, you know, what, what have you gone through? How have you overcome it? And so I wanted to create some projects and create a show that really, um, really showed that, really got to show um, NFL personalities off the field of who they are. And that was, that was something I was really proud of. I, I never would have thought I was capable of that, of starting a production company, starting an LLC, negotiating airtime, having to find a corporate sponsor and legal aspects with that. And, and uh, I didn't know I was capable of that. So that checked off a lot of cool boxes for me in terms of my value, in terms of my worth. And the great thing was when I created that was, I didn't go through PR. My rule was, listen, if I'm asking Aaron Rodgers to to sit down with me for three days because it's a 30-minute show, I want to make sure that I'm not pitching that to a PR person. I'm asking Aaron, how do you want to do this? How, what do we want to show you doing? You know, who are you? And so what I loved in the beginning when I started doing that, I think everyone was like, what is she doing? This is a lot of time to ask. And then, uh, and then wound up having a line of, of people asking, hey, I'd like to be a part of that. So... I think it's all connected to um, what I had worked for years on building relationships, not building sources, not building contacts, and uh, and pushing myself um, confidence-wise to go, okay, you've never done this before, but let's do it. And you are smart enough, and you can figure this out. And after spending a lot of years being told you're not smart enough and you don't know what you're talking about and, you know, you're a girl in sports and you don't belong – it was really important for my growth as a person, uh, not just as, as an entrepreneur, not just as a journalist, but it was really important for my growth to see what I was capable of, uh, and that was sure um, that was surely a, a whole lot more than you know twenty seconds on a sideline. That's terrific, Laura. Uh, that's that's great to see, and and how much success you had with that show. Just incredible to say the least. We have a little bit of time left because we know you got to run, Laura. So uh, I, I got to sneak in one football question for you. I told you I'd, I'd ask you just one. Uh, you know, with us being in the Chiefs' backyard and Patrick Mahomes having that terrific MVP season and everything, what what'd you make of just what you saw from from him and the Chiefs this uh, this past season, and and what they have going forward? It's so impressive. It's just, it's so impressive what they're building. I'm such an Andy Reid fan, always have been, and love, love his staff. I just, I love that building. And to watch the, to watch 
what's developed there and what they've built there um, with Patrick and around Patrick has been so incredible. I didn't have a Chiefs game uh, last year until the playoffs when I was doing the sidelines for Westwood One Radio. So I saw Patrick very much at the end and was so impressed with him, was so impressed not with just, you know, what we all see obviously on the field, but watching how he carried himself and watching how um, how the moment wasn't too big, watching how he was constantly talking to everybody, um, not just his receivers, not just his offensive line, but was always the first one to, to greet, you know, the defense or the special teams coming off the field. I loved how he carried himself. And then I got to spend a lot more time with him at the Pro Bowl. And, um, and, and he's just, you know, everything you know already. He's just, he's impressive. And he's not just impressive for a quarterback. He's not just impressive for a young quarterback. He's just an impressive young man. And I loved um, having everybody say that throughout the Pro Bowl week. I always love interviewing guys about, you know, who would you like meeting, who hadn't you known. And they usually say the older guys they haven't gotten to spend time with. But everybody, the veterans and the young guys, were all just saying that they couldn't wait to meet him to see if he was everything that they had heard. And everybody was so uh, happy to say, yes, he is. And I just – I remember asking him just, you know, on the field in the rain of, of just uh, what he was going to do, like what, you know, at how much time off we was going to get and what he was going to, what he was going to do. And usually there's that answer of, you know, I'm going to take a little bit of time and then I'm going to, you know, get back into it or, you know, find my receiver somewhere. But he was taking no time. And the first thing, you know, that he said was, I have things to get better on. And that's what I really want to work on right now is making sure that I'm getting better physically, mentally. Uh, and being able to handle this next year. So he was just, he impressed me in so many ways, and everything I've heard from him, any of the chief staff that I talked to um, in, I was going to say in Honolulu, in Orlando, every one of them would say to me, hey, have you met Patrick yet? And I either, you know, early on said I haven't yet, or I'd say I just did, and every one of them would say the same thing, which is, I have never been around a guy this special, he's unique. And when you're hearing the coaches and the training staff and all the guys saying that, about a guy, and that's usually, you know, kind of quietly when they pull you aside and not, and usually tell you the truth. It's really impressive. So I'm, I'm excited to see what, what he does this next year with so many expectations, and I'm excited to see, hopefully with a healthy offensive line protecting him, that he won't have to do quite everything because hopefully they're building enough around him um, that it won't all be on his young shoulders anyway. No doubt. No doubt about that. Laura, before we let you go, where can people connect with you and get more information on, on Galvanize if, uh, if they want to get involved in that? I would love if they did. They can go to lauraoakman.com, and there are a couple pages on Galvanize, on boot camps, and it really will explain, hopefully, what we do, what we're all about, and, uh, and what, kind of the, what, not kind of what, what the heart is behind Galvanize and what the purpose is. And, again, everybody thinks it's young women, and it's all young women who want to be on camera. We are 19 to 40s, and we have just as many women who want to be behind the camera, uh, who want to be in PR, who want to be in sports but don't know what. It's one of the great things about the relationships with the NFL teams. We go into a building and we meet with women in football operations and in community relations and public relations and so many times when it comes to women in sports, we all think of a woman just standing on a field or on a court holding a microphone, and I am not disparaging that. You know, I, I, it, is, it, it has given me a wonderful, wonderful life. I, I still do it, and I still love it, but I always want women to know there's so many other ways to be involved. There's so many other awesome opportunities, 
And so if they're trying to figure that out, Galvanize is hopefully a great place for them to, uh, to go, okay, what do I want to do? What lights me up? And I'd love to be around another uh, gr- a group of women who are trying to figure out the same thing on their journeys. Laura, that's terrific. Thanks for the time. Appreciate you joining us, and uh, we'll catch up down the line. Thanks, Tyler. Rock chalk. Big thanks to Laura Oakman for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Dallas Bridges, back here with you now. Big 12 Media Days coming up next week from the Star in Frisco. And with that, the all-Big 12 preseason first and second team has been released. And the Offensive Player of the Year is uh, the preseason player, that is, Sam Ellinger out of Texas. They're a 6'3", 230 quarterback. Defensive Player of the Year, Kenneth Murray, the linebacker from OU, and Newcomer of the Year, which go ahead and get your bets in now and maximize on the odds of where they're going to be because I think this is only uh, the odds will make you less money as the year progresses. This is the lock of the century. Jalen Hurts, your favorite, uh, from according to the media, for newcomer of the year. But looking down the line, Tom, uh, Sam Ellinger, Puka Williams, Kennedy Brooks, Chuba Hubbard, you know, CeeDee Land, Tylon Wallace, uh, you know, Grant Calcaterra, Creed Humphrey, you know, a number of these guys. When you look at that offensive side, th- this is a year where I think there's a whole lot of talent, a whole lot of offensive talent uh, that, w- that we're looking at uh, coming back to the Big 12 this year. Th- th- some of these guys are NFL players, are NFL ready right now. Uh, in the case of, you know, I think Puka Williams is going to be an NFL running back. We're going to talk about him in just a second in his situation. I think Kennedy Brooks is going to be an NFL running back. Chuba Hubbard's got a shot. Hubbard's got a CeeDee Lamb, Tylon Wallace, uh, Grant Calcaterra, Creed Humphrey. I mean, we're, we're looking at – I know that last year, in last year's NFL draft, the Big 12 did not represent that well. I think this group here, in particular on the offensive side of the ball, Tom – we're talking about some real offensive talent this league possesses. Oh, I think so, too. All those names you just rattled off there, you know, between one and four. Uh, I'm sorry, like one first, second, third, fourth rounder. Sorry, I had a brain fart there. Um, easily. I mean, this is, you know, some of the better offensive names that we've heard in a long time in the Big 12, at least that many. Uh, you know, there's not one necessarily that sticks out as could be an own number, you know, number top ten pick, let's say. Uh, but there is a lot of talent there. I mean, Jalen Hurts, someone's given him a shot in the league. I mean, just what he's done in Alabama. And, and you mentioned get your bets ready for the Big Big 12 newcomer. I think that goes without saying. Tylen Wallace has got a real good shot to become a Blendikoff Award winner, uh, as well as C.D. Lamb. Um Calcaterra, uh, I mean, what's up with OU and getting these great tight ends here lately? Uh, I mean, it just seems like they can't, you know, there's no miss. I mean, they, they've, for the past, hell, six, seven years, they've had a t- that tight end who can take over a game. And, and Everybody and talks about Jermaine Gresham. I go back to Joe John Finley was a stud before him. Right, I mean, they've always had a, a, a tight end that can stretch the field. Right. They, they, they've always had that. Um, when I look at that first-team quarterback, can, can I call out my, my fellow media members for a second, Tom? Do, do I have permission to do that here? Uh, Go for it. So, for the last couple of years, the first-team All-Big 12 quarterback for the preseason, Tom, 
has been voted based on reputation from a previous season, not based on potential and you know the the system and the circumstance. Case in point last year, Will Greer was the preseason all Big 12 first team quarterback. And I said on this very program, I can tell you this right now, he's only the first team quarterback because he's the biggest returning starter on his team from a year ago. He will not be the first team quarterback. And I'm going to say the same exact thing about Sam Ellinger. He is the biggest name, he happens to play for Texas, that's returning to the league that was there previously. Jalen Hurts is going to have a better year than Sam Ellinger. The best quarterback in this league is Brock Purdy out of Iowa State. Now, with Iowa State, he might not necessarily be first team, but it's going to be either Jalen Hurts or Brock Purdy. Sam Ellinger might be third team. Might be. He might even be the fourth best quarterback in this league. Sam Ellinger is a good college quarterback, but his completion percentage is not that great. Um, you know, he he's not going to make it at the next level. Uh, I, I think there is a ceiling that comes with Sam Ellinger's game. I would bet a lot of money that he is not going to be that name. Stop voting for guys based on just being the biggest name coming back to their school. Kyler Murray, you could look at and say before entering last season was a more talented quarterback than than Will Greer and was set up in a great system to, to succeed. I told you that Kyler Murray was going to have a better year than uh, than Will Greer, and sure enough, that's what that's exactly what happened. And so I'm telling you this right now: Jalen Hurts, Brock Purdy, sign and seal, deliver it. Those guys, either one of them, will finish ahead of Sam Ellinger for that Big Twelve quarterback. Stop promoting these names just because they happen to be returning to their Big 12 school. Other guys can develop. You can be a first-year starter and be a successful quarterback. Man, he's getting after it today. I agree somewhat with that sentiment, as in don't always pick the guy that's returning. Don't pick the biggest name returning to the school because it's usually somebody else. However, I like Sam Ellinger. Um, I wouldn't be shocked. If he did have a hell of a season, and it was him at the end of the year, uh, not saying Jalen Hurts can't win it, not saying Brock Purdy can't win it. I'm just saying Sam Ellinger, in my mind, deserves to be in the conversation. And and just with the way the preseason polls are, that's just what we're going to get. Not saying he's going to win it. Not saying he has the maybe even the best shot, but he deserves to be there, and he does have a shot to be there at the end of the year. Jalen Hurts just, what, two years ago, Tom, didn't he finish top five in the Heisman voting? I mean, I know he got beat I mean, out by he's Tua. He's for a great Alabama team. He's going to be playing, playing for a great offense at OU, too. Um, I, I mean, yeah, sure, but I don't – I mean, we'll see. In, in regards to – In regards to Brock Purdy, too, Tom, here's how high I am on Brock Purdy. And uh, I'm going on record You're with pretty this. pretty high? You're I'm pretty, pretty high. high. I'm pretty high. I'm ready for Brocktober round two. It was so great last year. Um, I think that when his draft comes around, which is not next year, and next year is the 2020 draft, so 2021, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the first quarterback off the board. I think Brock Purdy's probably your number two quarterback in 2021, probably a top 10 pick, top five pick probably in that draft. I know that's looking way out from now. A lot can happen between now and then, but that's how high I'm sold on Brock Purdy and his future that he is the second-best quarterback in the class of 2021. You know what? He's got the same initials as another old Big 12 quarterback. Can you name? 
BP. BP. Um, I- I'm drawing blank. Who who you got? Played for Baylor. Uh, BP. Uh, no, I- I'm I'm still drawing oh, blank. Bryce Petty. Oh, Bryce Petty. Bryce Petty. No, 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 no. Bryce Petty. And that's probably because I'm not hell bent on Iowa State. Might be an ignorant take, but I hope I. You've been, I, I, you've been I, kind of I, full I, of those I, today. I like Matt Campbell and Brock Purdy. And, but to say already he's going to be a top 10 pick when his draft comes, I mean, that's that's a little generous. I know. I know. I'm being kind, but I'm calling my shot well, now. That's a little generous. I'm not saying I'm not saying that's, a, you know, a super hot take. But, uh, that's I mean, that's, that's kind of you, Jones. Yes, I'm very high on him. I like Brock Purdy, as you can tell. I'm ready for Brocktober. It's going to be great. And uh, I think that he's got a bright future ahead. Puka Williams, the first running back named on that list uh, from right here at the University of Kansas. Uh, it was announced this week that he will be suspended for game number one against Indiana State. And he did not play game one last year against Nichols State. And sure enough, KU lost that game. If Puka plays, they probably win. <laughs> And so this is becoming a trend. Uh, I fully expect now in uh, the start of the 2020 season, Puka will not be available for game one. I can't even tell you they're playing game one in 2020, but don't count on Puka playing. Right? Just take a bye week so Puka can get his stuff together and out of the way. Um, But Puka Williams is going to be back. I'm glad they got this resolved, that they could figure this out. Uh, You're going through a diversion program. The charges were reduced in, in this situation. And you know, hopefully he's learned from it and something he can grow from that uh, that this can work itself out. And, you know, I, I said from the beginning of this, Tom, that, you know, with, with this being not as big of a deal as we thought, with this clearly headed the, direct, the direction that he was going to stay on this team and everything, that his suspension, they were going to do everything they can to make sure that Puka Williams is on the field for game number three on the road against Boston College. This KU team has a lot of talent, comparably speaking of what they've had in the past. They should, without Puka, be able to win weeks one and two against Indiana State and Coastal Carolina. In theory, they should be able to. I would and so, Right. And so, with that in mind, you'd say you have to have him to have a shot against Boston College. No Puka against BC, no win, no chance. And so, now, not only do you get Puka back, but you also get him back with a warm-up game on top of that. I think that KU, they took care of business. They put the statements out they needed to. The, the legal process worked itself out, and he's going to sit out a game. He sat out from you know team activities for all of spring and all of summer now. Uh, this situation, I thought they handled it right. The, the penalty fits the crime, and now this Kansas team – I mean, as long as you don't you know, lay an egg against Indiana State, then uh, this is about the best outcome they could have asked for uh, when this all started. Oh, of course. I mean, it could have been for longer. I mean, the first game, you should be able to win. I mean, if you want to start, you know, swinging, I'm not even, no, I'm not even going to use that. If you want <laughs> to start kicking ass in the, in the Big 12, then you got to, you know, you got to beat, you should be fine without one player. I mean, I know he's the best player on the team, but uh, at the end of the day, don't concern yourself with Indiana State and, and needing one, a player, a power five, needing somebody uh, to be 
uh, a team like Indiana State. I mean, I know it's Kansas, but you have to have the mentality now that there won't be any problem. I mean, hell, Puka could, you know, sit out playing Indiana State all season, all 12 games, and and uh, KU should be all right. I get that's not the case, but the mindset going in, if KU wants to, you know, get this, you know, these past however many years and, and keep them that way, uh, then, you know, they'll be fine without Puka, I hope. I hope so. If they, if, if KU wins five games and they lose the first one against Indiana State because Puka didn't play, and that keeps KU out of a bowl game, I'll pour a beer out for less miles. Pour, pour some sugar on me, yeah. Um, one more for you on this, Tom. Isn't this, you know, we, we've been waiting for this to all work itself out. We didn't get to see it in the spring and all this, but now we will the season ahead. I said from the beginning that I would bet that Puka was one of the reasons why Les came to KU. This seemed like a match made in heaven. One of the best running backs in the country, one of the fastest kids out there, and he's from Louisiana, and now you pair him with Les Miles. He was an LSU fan growing up. We know Les has been very good with when it comes to running backs. They have a, a veteran offensive line, the best line they've had in quite some time. And then not to mention, too, very solid running backs along with him, too. So you don't have to give him, you know, 40 touches a game. You can use him sparingly so he doesn't, you know, get tired or injured. Um, I mean, you got Khalil Herbert and Don Williams there as well. Now that we know we get to see this, this is going to be really fun to see how Les Miles can take Puka Williams to the next level. Oh, it's going to be really interesting to see, especially since it's only been David Beatty. I mean, it's going to be unprecedented to see what Les Miles can do with a player like Puka Williams. And it's, you know, a, a new coach comes to the team, and it's usually that they're just trash, and they don't really have anything to work with. And it takes them a couple of years to get a really good high-caliber player like Puka Williams. Okay, he's already got one. Uh, so I don't think you'd be out of your mind to say that Les – that's one of the reasons he, he went ahead and came to KU. I already had someone to work with. All right, all right, no question, no question about it. A uh, couple more things here on today's edition of the uh, Jones Report. Let's uh, let's talk about the uh, U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, they won the World Cup. Tom, first off, that makes me feel old because when, uh, when we started the show back in 2011, the U.S. Women's National Team was coming off a loss to Japan. And fast forward, here we are. <laughs> Eight years later, and uh, they've just won their second straight World Cup title. But that's beside the point. Um, big win for this squad. You know, they dominated that tournament. Their second team probably could have won this tournament as well. And, you know, there, I, I would say that with this women's team, Tom, the stuff off the field probably got more attention than the on-the-field stuff, whether it was Megan Rapino going back and forth with President Trump whether it was the equal pay, you know, situation that's come up and all the talk that's been around that, whether it was the people going after them for the way that they celebrate and running up goals, you know, running up the score and such. Um, there, there was a lot of a side circus that went along with this team that we really have never seen before. And that kind of, you know, was, I think, more talked about than what was accomplished here. I mean, the, the accomplishment of this group to dominate the way that they did and to go out there and win this World Cup, that deserves some attention. The other stuff, uh, there, there was a lot going on with this team off the field that we've just never seen before from the U.S. women's national team. They, they got a lot of attention that, that they haven't had otherwise. 
Oh, and I loved it too. And then the the Alex Morgan sipping the tea. Uh, I mean, come on, get over it. Like I can't believe that was a thing. I can't believe running up goals was a thing. I I really. I mean, this is the World Cup. This isn't a friendly. This right. This is not a friendly match. Like I mean, we we could have talked about this a long time on the show, but now that the women's World Cup is over with, I mean, if they would have dropped, you know, twenty goals on. Uh, the Netherlands, would we be like, oh, well, you know, I, they could have stopped at three. I mean, no. No, this is that's a, that would, this is the World Cup. No, you score as many as you can. Are you kidding me? And, and then for them to, for people to be like, I can't believe they celebrated the way they did. No, this is the World Cup. Go out and get in your opponent's head and kick their ass. Are you kidding me? That is not the American way to just, to you know, be, I don't know. This is not the American way to not celebrate in someone's face. This is America, damn it. I want my opponent to know that I'm kicking their ass. I, I mean, really, right? Like, right, 100%. I mean, it's one thing, like, don't, you know, if you were losing or, you know, don't go around and, you know, after the game, don't, you know, make a fool of yourself or, you know, I, it's hard to believe that fights don't break out. I mean, maybe they do. I don't follow soccer that much, but it's amazing to me that they don't, fights don't break out after the game over some bad blood or whatever. But, I mean, what what is it that, that Alex Morgan sips a cup of tea after scoring on England? Like, that's all in good fun. You have to expect that. If you're, you know, if you're England, you expect, say, oh, well, you can use that against us. It's like, People doing the money Manziel thing like that is what's going to end up happening. And if you don't like it, then don't let him score on you. That's the nature of the game. If you don't want to see it, don't give him a chance to. Right. And the the, the side circus of, of that and everything, I, I feel like, Tom, that this wasn't of their own doing. They didn't make a big deal out about, you know, it, it was the media and you know some fans and, and people and, and such that made such a big deal about their celebrations. It was the you know it was the outsiders that you know made such a big deal about the equal pay. Uh, you know, in the middle of it, I mean, they brought this up initially, but at the end of the day, they were focused on playing soccer, focused on playing ball, and everyone was talking about that as that was going on. And, and some of these other things, um, you know. The the thing with Megan Rapino and President Trump, of course she responded. You know, the the president engaged with it, she responded. I, I mean, I'm not saying I I agree with what she said per se, but what's she supposed to do? Just back off? No. I mean you you, you have to say something in those circumstances. So I, I feel yeah. like a lot of the attention, the distractions or all these things that surrounded this team wasn't even of their own doing. Oh, of course not. It wasn't. I mean if Trump tweeted you right now and said Tyler Jones is trash individual, would you, would you not tweet back something? I mean, he didn't say that necessarily straight to Megan, but I mean, I mean, of course she's going to respond. She's not the one. I mean, she doesn't probably like Trump in the beginning anyway. Not a whole lot of people do. Um, but of course she's, I mean, she's one of the best players on the team. Uh, was Had ice in her veins, kicking the penalty kicks throughout the whole, whole way. I mean, She's a cold blood killer uh, on on the pitch. I mean, it's it was incredible to watch, um, and just even Alex Morgan, her and uh, 
and Megan just going back and forth as far as, you know, shooting for the golden boot. I mean, usually that – I don't know how much that happens in a World Cup, that, that two players get the, the golden boot and the silver boot. I'm not sure when the last time that happened. It's usually someone from another team that gets either the gold or the silver. Right. Right, no question, no question. Uh, Tom, uh, one more thing before we get to Tom Fulry today. Tyreek Hill is uh, back in the news once again, and uh, you know the league, Tom. We were expecting a decision to be made last week. There were reports out that his future was going to be decided around the week of July fourth, and then on Tuesday, the day that we're taping this. There was audio that came out of the full 11-minute audio tape that KCTV5 in Kansas City, City they had and they only released portions of. They said that it was uh, there was intimate conversation. Uh, they do talk about them having sex in this, uh, in this audio exchange, and so they didn't release all of it. And in this audio recording, we have found out the NFL actually – had this audio recording for the last couple of months. They've had the full tape. So this isn't new news to the NFL. It's new news to the public. But Sam Mellinger of the Star, uh, he had a couple initial thoughts, and, uh, and, and I like these points he made. This kind of describes it for those that haven't heard the full audio tape because it just came out on Tuesday. Here's kind of the hitters uh, from Mellinger. Hill is adamant he didn't hit Espinal in 2014, which she neither acknowledges or pushes back against. There are possible explanations for that beyond he didn't do it, but still, that's number one. Another quote is, you explicit ruined my life and you lied on me in 2017, in 2014. I'm still not over that because I didn't touch you in 2014 and I can't, can't put everything, I love you, bro. Espinal is adamant he'll punch the child and the child tells everybody and everybody that you broke his arm. This was a bad insurance policy for Espinal. Hill sounds frustrated as hell and genuine in everything he says. Hill says in the audio tape, I would never hurt my son in life. It goes on, more from Mellinger. It's weird. They're talking about this stuff, and yeah, we're business class. Um, you know, so that, that's kind of the issue here. I wish KCTV, and I have friends over there that do an excellent job, I wish they would have released this entire tape to begin with because then essentially what happened here tom was the initial tape that was released you you had tyree tyreek hill on the defense and you know he, he says the comments of you know hey you uh you, i mean you, you should be scared of me and you know you know threatens her in that way and they cut a lot of this out and now in this full tape I don't think this necessarily, you know, validates Tyreek by any means. I don't think that this uh, makes him look any better, per se. You know, the the, the fact that uh, it doesn't exonerate him or make him look like a great person by any means. But it is interesting that Crystal Espinal, Tom, who we have questioned for a very long time, in this tape does not admit that... Uh, that she did not make up what happened in 2014. That is newsworthy. That is interesting. And I think that uh, with with this coming out 
um, you know, with the full tape and everything, the the chances of Tyreek Hill playing in 2019 are very high. And I would say that with all the information, now that we have it all, Tyreek Hill's chances of playing in Kansas City for the Chiefs are also very high next year. I think with this information you you've been presented uh, and the Chiefs waiting as long as they had, I would be shocked if uh, if this isn't a short suspension, if he isn't back in the Chiefs uniform now that we have this information available. Right, and and hindsight's twenty twenty. so if it went the other way, maybe we criticize the Chiefs for not letting him go earlier. But now with this information, uh, I mean, I think the Chiefs kind of feel pretty good to think, you know what, okay, maybe it's not as bad as we thought. I mean, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, just, just waiting it out, waiting for the real information to come out. Uh, and, and seeing how this all went down and, and what a mess it was. I mean, guilty or not guilty or if it all happened or if it even didn't, uh, this was not a good look for Tyreek Hill or the Chiefs by any means, especially the, with the Chiefs' track record right. on, on players. You, with, you, you know, have enough. You still have enough information to release Tyreek Hill and justify it based on the fact that he threatens her in this audio tape. Um, you know, I stand by that, that I think he should be, he should be released, that this was his second chance. And there's an audio recording of him threatening a female. I don't think that's acceptable, but I don't think that's the route the chiefs are going to go. I do think they're going to hold on to him and probably give him a contract extension, to be honest with you, uh, when this is all said and done. And, and the other thing that I wonder in all this, Tom, and you know, this is, this is a tough question, but I'm going to say it anyway, is when you see that this is a toxic relationship that these two have between Tyreek and, and Crystal. And, you know, she's admitted to lying a couple times. Obviously, you know, he's made some mistakes here. How are these two still together? In Tyreek's case, and I never want to blame a woman, you know, in these cases, so I'm not going to do that. In Tyreek's situation, how has Tyreek not walked away from her and gotten away? I mean, because she's obviously crazy. Um, no beating the bush around that. How, I mean, in Tyreek's case, I really question his judgment for how and why he has stayed with her throughout all this time. I mean, you got his son. I mean, that, that is somewhat in, in both sides, both men and women have done this. I mean, I mean, he does, she would have a son. I mean, it would be hard for us to see Tyreek kill, even with all the money he's got. And the situation that he's in as a as a all star NFL football player, it would be I would be hard pressed to see the courts give Tyree Kill full custody uh, of his child. And and well, right now neither one of them have custody. Well, okay, that's true, but I think it would probably make matters worse. I mean, I don't. I could see him. I could see her trying to play him like a fiddle and 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 using the kid. Granted that custody comes back or what have you using that and, and playing Tyree Kill for his money. And I don't you know, I don't know. Love will make you do a bunch of stupid stuff. Uh, even if the person is toxic, you see this all the time. I mean you I mean I can count out a million and a half people from high school, uh, you know, that are have been in toxic relationships or just even people that you know in town that that, you know, keep going back to their ex that that's no good for them. Men and women both do it. Um, and you know, that's, you know, man is fallible, and that's that will happen. Now, he does have all this money. I don't know why he wa won't walk away, because I'm sure there's plenty of good-looking women in Kansas City 
that it, and, and wherever he goes, that he could just, at the drop of a dime, just say, hey, I'm Tyreek Hill. <laughs> I mean, Vonnie will do that. I, I mean, I would, he's not ugly. I wouldn't say he's the best-looking guy in the world, but he's not ugly, and he's got all this money and all the fame. Uh, so why doesn't he walk away? Let's get him on the show and ask. Right, because uh, I'm sure that's what he's waiting for is his infight on the Jones Report. That's uh, I think so. That's what's going to solve this. Like a bachelor tell-all, I'm ready for it. My body's ready. The uh, the Chiefs going forward, uh, you, know, you, you and I both agree we think he's going to be a Chief for the foreseeable future. But when you look at this situation now, you, you have a decision to make. Chris Jones and Tyreek Hill are going to be both up at the end of next year. And, you know, Chris Jones, a contract year, he had a very good year last year, but he has struggled with defending the rush. Uh, he is a very good sack machine, you know, on that defensive line. But you have a new system this year. He wants some more money. You know, Tyreek Hill is going to want a new contract, obviously. And basically, the way this is going to work, if you want to keep both guys, Tom, you can't give them both new contracts. One of them would have to be fran- give the franchise tag, and the other would have to give an extension uh, that you could give an extension to. If if you're the Chiefs, what, what do you think they do here? Do you think that they go ahead and eventually just move on from Tyreek or move on from Chris Jones, or do you think that they you know, find a way to make this work to keep both guys? You know, I think it's really going to depend on what's his name they brought in from Seattle. Frank Clark. I really think so. I think I think his level of play this year is going to see how much the Chiefs really need Chris Jones. Um, and, you know, depending on what Tyree Kill does this season, if he stays out of trouble or, I mean, I guess maybe a better sentence would be doesn't cause any more trouble, um, then, you know, maybe – you know, I guess to see how the Chiefs do. Hell, they might end up messing around and winning a Super Bowl, and, and the Chiefs might just go ahead and keep Chris Jones and let Tyreek Kill walk after they bring in Super Bowl to Kansas City. Uh, now, that's a little far-fetched of me to say, but um, I really think it's going to depend on the level of play of each of them. I mean, um, I, mean I think that's pretty obvious, but um, also just how the Kansas City defense does this year. I mean... Under you know it's under new leadership here. We're gonna we're gonna really see what Kansas City's defense is made of, what changes they end up making uh, under Spags, and 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 go from there. Here's what I'm gonna guess, Tom. This is how I think this is gonna play out. I think that the Chiefs are a Super Bowl team this year. I've made my pick. I have the Chiefs and the Bears in the Super Bowl. I haven't decided who's gonna win yet, but probably not the Bears. I think that. Chris Jones will do just enough where they say, you know what, we're we're not ready to pay you the the type of money that guys like Khalil Mack and uh, you know and, and some of these others are getting. But we want to see, you know, if we can work on getting more time to put together the right amount of deal. Put the tag on Chris Jones, and then at in Tyreek's circumstance, you look at his past and some of the mistakes you've made and say, we're not going to pay you you know, all this money that you could make uh, that we were talking about earlier. We'll pay you this amount, but we're not going to guarantee any money. One screw-up, and you're cut. You are done with this organization. I think that's the most likely scenario for the Chiefs is franchise tag Chris Jones, make him wait out one more year, another prove-it year, 
and and see if you can just work out a deal of some sorts, if not trade him. And with Tyreek, get him you know, a decent amount of money, but nothing guaranteed. I think that's the circumstance that Kansas City will probably play itself into. I mean, I would expect him to in the Tyreek situation. He's not going to be making uh, as much money as he could have, and, and that would be the smart thing for the Chiefs to do is to, to sign him but not guarantee any money. Now, is that going to work out? Is he going to go somewhere else and 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 get more guaranteed money? I mean, we saw that with other players that the NFL is wanting more guaranteed money. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he decides. Uh, I mean, play this year and maybe bet on himself to go somewhere else. I mean, it'll be it's a be a very interesting Kansas City season this year. No question, no question about it. Tom, before we get out of here today, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week this week. What do we got? So I was going to go to Kansas City where a lady fired a gun because the wait time at the DMV was ridiculous. But then I saw this one. I can't blame and her. And I just thought this was more tomfoolery. Um, coming from, let, let's see, it's coming from the Aspen Times. So I'm gonna get, I'm just going to go ahead and say that it's coming out of Aspen, Colorado. Pot-laced poop getting Aspen dogs high. That's not a lie. And there's a picture of a pretty good-looking dog on the front. It's Marty, a two-year-old cattle dog mix, ate something, presumably human feces, on an area trail that got him high on THC. His owner took him to a local vet, Scott Dolgeno, who said he's seeing more cases of dogs with marijuana toxicity. Dogs in the Roaring Fork Valley have found another way to get stoned other than the boring break-in of edibles at home. They are eating human feces tainted with marijuana. Jones, before I start this, I don't think I've ever had a dog that ate poop. I have not either. I, I mean, maybe it's something in the water in Colorado. I've never had a dog that was a poop eater. Um, anyway, the vet, Dr. Scott Dolgeno, who owns Valley Emergency Pet Care in, Pet Care in Basalt, said he's seeing anywhere between three and ten dogs a week that come in with marijuana toxicity. His working theory is that these dogs are eating human feces that have enough THC, the psychoactive ingredient marijuana, in it to carry over for a second high. And they are finding these piles of pot lace poop on trails and campgrounds. 70 to 80% of people said they have no idea where the dogs got it, but they say they can say they were out on a trail or camping, he said. I can't believe that I can't believe that the owners are lying. Like he couldn't, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't say that the owners are lying. I mean, just ask Rebecca Cole, the owner of Marty, a two-year-old cattle dog mix that got into something on the No Problem Joe Trail and ruined a Sunday evening this past spring. After spending part of the day on the trails east of Aspen, Cole noticed Marty acting strangely, staggering, throwing up, peeing on the floor, and just generally out of it. He was crashed out. I had to carry him to the vet, she said. I literally walked in the door, and they said he was high. I couldn't believe it because I don't have anything in my house. Cole said she saw Marty with a chunk of something in his mouth on the trail but didn't think anything of it. Most dogs will eat human feces given the opportunity. Well, not my dog. Uh, anyway, not Sawyer. Dolgano, who also owns a vet clinic in Moab near a lot of other camping areas, said there are too many instances of dogs coming in with THC toxicity symptoms after being outside to not think human feces is the source. It's unlikely that many people toss an edible or a roach on the side of the trail, he said. 
also makes sense from the level of toxicity we see. The phenomenon is also occurring in places like San Fran, where there's a high population of homeless people who defecate in parks. Oftentimes, there's not much vet can do, and owners just have to let the dogs ride out the high until they come down. In more severe cases, dogs are either sedated or treated with IV fluids. Uh, he also added that when he's hiking Hunter Creek, he notices human feces just off the trail on a regular basis. Price Hadley, ranger supervisor from Pitkin County Open Space and Trails, said he has not seen evidence of human waste on an open space. Obviously, we encourage people to follow the leave no trace principles in the backcountry and use established facilities in the front country, he said. Cole would appreciate that too. It was scary, she said. I want people to pick up their poop. So let me get this straight. Correct me on, on this timeline, Tom. The the process would be that somebody smokes marijuana, they're in the woods camping or in the trail, they take a dump somewhere camping or, you know, on, on a walking trail. The dog then eats said poop and then gets high off the marijuana from the person that was smoking the marijuana that took the dump in the woods uh, while they were camping or on a hiking trail. Am I correct? That is 100% correct. How long is it going to be before someone who doesn't have weed decides to eat some poop? Oh, it's going to be uh, quite some time. I, I don't think it's going to take very long. Someone's going to do it. Jones, I, I think I'm not shocked that a dog would get high off of, of poop that had THC in it. I, that is not, I, I don't, I'm not shocked. You ever seen a uh, You ever seen a pet high or drunk before? Do what? You ever seen a pet that was high or drunk before? No, I don't think I have to be honest. I haven't in person. I've seen in videos. Now, we don't condone this or encourage this, but it is one of the funniest things that you can possibly see. My dog does not like the smell of liquor or beer. Smart dog. He will he will run away. Sawyer is not a he does not have a vice. I don't. Well, pizza is his vice, and that's about it. But no, I'm that, I'm shocked that that many dogs eat poop. If if the ball, if I throw the ball and it lands anywhere near dog poop, even if it's his own, Sawyer will not get it. I'll say he this: will turn up his nose. Tom, I'm not surprised that these dogs are eating poop because obviously these owners have an issue already they, they can't be the best taker of dogs if they themselves are smoking weed in the woods on walking trails campgrounds whatever and taking a dump obviously they're not the probably the best of human beings you know i mean to, okay if you're out like hiking a mountain like i hike try to hike mount elbert if i had to defecate there is no when you get up that far there's nowhere else to I'm sure I would I would I would not hold it in. In the altitude, let me tell you, if you've never been to Colorado, it will make you fart a lot. It will it will pressurize your insides. And so I can see it. I mean, hey, if you gotta go poop, you gotta go poop. Uh, but I'm more interested in dogs who eat poop. I mean, it's not like it smells good, it's not like I don't know, maybe, I don't know what would be in human feces that would make it, you know, look good to dogs. Maybe they can smell the weed in it. Maybe they're, you know, maybe, I don't know. I wonder what the science is behind a dog who eats poop and, and one who does not. 
it's still fascinating though that this can happen and that you have to watch for the poop eating dogs or your dog's going to be walk out of the trees high as a guy. You know what Stephen A. Smith would say if you're here right now, don't you? Well, what do you say? Stay off the weed. Um. <laughs> dogs too. Stay off the weed. Oh my God! See, and the, you know that you hear about dogs. Can you can give them like CBD and all that? Obviously, it's not getting high off that, but that is still. Uh, I think Burger King's got like a CBD burger now. That's disgusting. <laughs> I would see they just take it too far. If you can't just drop the oil CBD oil drops under your tongue, you got to have some crazy whatever to have charboiled you know, burger, right? Yeah, that is disgusting. I mean, I'm sure it doesn't taste really any different, but it's still stupid. Right. At that point, you're 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 trying too hard, per se. Uh, I mean, just just get the job done. And, and CBD is not bad for you. I mean, um, you know, it's. It, I'll say this, Tom. I, I have I've never done the marijuana, but all, all I would much rather. Whether it be you know people or pets included, it is a lot better to be doing marijuana than it is to be getting addicted to opioids. Uh, that is a lot better route to go. You heard it here for first. Tyler Jones is a medical marijuana supporter. <laughs> there you have it. Uh, the the doctor report is back, and we're gonna get endorsed by. That's what we'll do. We'll get us a we'll get us a marijuana sponsor. We'll call Dan Bilzerian. There we go. We, we uh, we're, we're real popular in Colorado. You know, hey everybody over here, uh, we can do this. <laughs> we'll get Dan Bilzerian to what? sponsor us, and we'll go to his house. One, one more thing. I'll, I'll I'll end on this note, Tom. One of the most shocking differences between coming from the Midwest going over to California, Tom, was like the billboards and everything. Like half of them are all about weed and just like, oh, this dispensary is here or we got this marijuana bill that's being voted on. Like they, they don't hide it. They embrace it. You know, I mean, you, you go half of the Santa Monica Pier smells like weed. Uh, I mean, you, you can't miss it. In, in Colorado, they're they're a little more subtle about it. That to me was a, a bit of a difference between, uh, you know, the California way of the legal weed as opposed to the Colorado way. Right, I mean, they got billboards everywhere. I mean, and now they're going with magic mushrooms. So, I mean, that's the new thing in Colorado now. So, I mean, they got sick and tired of the weed. Maybe the weed's not enough. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. what the way they grow marijuana nowadays, I am not shocked that there are traces of THC in human feces and dogs can eat it and get completely stoned. Uh, I mean, the THC levels in weed compared to the 80s are astronomically higher. Well, and, and uh, you know the day is going to come when, when there's going to be a human that's so desperate to get high and can't afford it that they'll eat someone else's feces finding weed. It's like weed. people who smoke the cigarette butts in the tray next to the door at the gas station. Cannot, exactly. I can never so low. Exactly. That is 100%. That is spot on. That might be the best analysis you've ever given in the now, history of this I would, program. I would smoke a butt out of one of those before I would eat something that came from a butt of a human. Oh, of course. No question. No question. On that note, let's get out of here. Uh, before we say anything else, we regret. Uh, Don't eat THC lace poop. There you go. Don't let your dog do it either. Uh, keep <laughs> them away. 
Got to run. Big thanks to Laura Oakman for joining us today on uh, this crazy circus that we call the Jones Report every week. And uh, subscribe to the show, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. Leave us a five-star review. I'm serious. This is the only show that you're going to get sports takes and, you know, marijuana takes at the same time. You know, we, we have the total package here on the Jones Report. So subscribe to the show. Uh, give us follows on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, at TJ Media Group, Instagram, uh, Tyler Jones Live, Insta Thomas, Jones underscore Report. A lot of ways to connect with us. Make sure you do so. And uh, we'll see you right back here on the Jones Report. For Laura Oakman and Thomas Bridges, I'm Tyler Jones saying so long. This has been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you right back here next week. The Jones Report. F*** yeah.